I'll turn you to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're in Matthew chapter 5. If you're just joining us, we've been in a long series, or we're going to be in a long series, um, going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest um, sermon. I don't know who creates these sermon series or who decides to preach, but whoever that guy is assigned me a great passage about divorce and marriage. So if you would turn with me to page 810 in the Pewback Bible in front of you, you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible. That Bible's for you. It's our gift to you, because here we love to open up God's word, study it, read it, and live it out. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be just talking about two verses, verses 31 and 32. It was also said, this is Jesus again talking to his disciples. He's going to quote an Old Testament law. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32. But I say to you, now he's going to give a new commandment, so to speak. Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Easy passage. I'm sure we're all going to be feeling good and fuzzy inside and we're going to walk out of here and like, yes, this is awesome. No, this is a, a difficult passage. The reason why it's a difficult passage, in my opinion, is because it's kind of obvious, right? There are many people in this room, there are many people in our culture that are divorced. That's a simple fact. So how are we going to navigate this? And there are a lot of questions around the topic, right? I know um, every week, if you guys don't know, every week on Wednesday, I've been canceling it a lot because I've been in a lot of things. But every Wednesday afternoon, oh, afternoon, late morning, um, our staff, ministry staff gets together and we have a sermon discussion and it's usually whoever's preaching presents, all right, this is, this is what I'm thinking through, this is what I'm planning to preach on, give me feedback, what am I missing, am I heretical, do I need to delete this whole thing? Oftentimes I do get heretical and they're like, no, don't say that. Um, and and this, this past Wednesday was a spirited conversation um, because we talked about this passage but there are a lot of, there are a lot of questions behind just this passage, right? There are questions about, all right, what, what if you weren't a Christian and you were married and got divorced? What if you got divorced at a really early age and then and, and you're remarried? What, what about if the spouse was physically abusive, mentally abusive, emotionally abusive, and they got divorced and then one got remarried? What if, what if one was a Christian, the other one was a Christian, and one got a divorce and then got remarried and what if they got a divorce and then got a divorce again and then again? What do we, like, there's so many questions to this topic, right? But, but Jesus is not here to answer all those questions. Jesus is going to address the topic on divorce and he's going to give an exception when you can give a divorce. And I, I'm well aware there's a lot of questions that we need to answer. 
I'm sure there's questions in your own mind. All right, what about this scenario and that scenario? But I think the reason why we often have those questions, apart from the fact that divorce is a reality in our culture, the reason why I think that this passage becomes difficult and passages in Ephesians chapter 5 or 1 Peter chapter 3 or Matthew 19 when Jesus talks about divorce again, the reason why it's so hard for us is that I think oftentimes our heart's desire is, is to harmonize our reality with Scripture. We're, we're trying to make peace. We're trying to make harmony with our sin. Right? So, so we go to biblical passages in Scripture to kind of justify and defend the realities of our current culture. And, and I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not trying to, to, to show us or demonstrate to us in this passage, right? Like, hey, divorce is okay. I think what Jesus is showing us is that divorce is not okay. It's not part of his design. It's not part of his intention for marriage. I don't think God is telling us like, hey, listen, divorce is a good thing and, and we ought to do it. I think he's saying the complete opposite. I think he's showing us that divorce is not okay. Divorce is not a good thing and divorce is not a solution. It's not a solution to a problem. In fact, it reveals to us the problem. Like I said, many questions. What ifs? What about? In due time, we'll answer those questions. They're pastors who are far wiser than I. And then there's a reality. When I was prepping for this, I was kind of like, I was like, man, maybe I'll get like Nate or Dan or Todd to preach on this. They're married. They know what's going on. And someone in our discussion meeting made a good comment. Um, you don't have to have experience to preach biblical truth. Right? Like, I don't, I don't need to be married to tell you, hey, you need to have a good godly marriage. Here's how to do it. And I don't need to be divorced to tell you, hey, divorce ain't a good thing. What I really want us to focus on this morning is the biblical truth of what God originally designed. And that let us let us wrestle with that biblical truth and not try to reconcile sin in our own lives. Let's just say what it is. Let's live it out and be faithful to it and not try to make excuses. Okay, that was just the introduction, all right? Um, I want to share a couple of thoughts of, about this passage. I think a good question for us to, to answer is, why is Jesus addressing this issue with his disciples? Right? Jesus is not talking about to a non-believing world. We're, we're not here to talk about what does divorce and marriage look like for our non-believing world because we know what it is, right? Like for the, for the world and our culture, marriage is just a contract, right? It's a partnership. The world's view of marriage is this. It's like in exchange of my love, affection, and intimacy, you will give me this, Right? 
That's, that's how the world defines marriage. It's a, it's a partnership. It's a contract. And, and when you don't meet the expectations of the other person, then we have a way out of this contract. It's divorce. Right? The world, the world says, hey, listen, you know, we have two separate bank accounts. Your money, my money. I pay these bills. You pay that bill. We share the food this week or you pay the light and gas and I pay the mortgage. You pay for your car, I pay for my car. That's not how God is supposed to be, right? Like, that's not the way God intended it to be. God's original intention is that two people, a man and a woman, would come together in holy matrimony and live a life under God for the glory of God as a representation of his love and care for his church. So we're not talking about how the world is because, because the world the world doesn't know what real marriage is. They'll tell you, they'll tell us. I mean, they tell us all the time. They tell us all the time what to think, what to feel, what to do, what not to do, what to believe, what not to believe. And when it changes, we got to change with it. But, but, but here, the Bible makes it clear. Marriage is meant for a man and a woman to love and care for each other in ways that are different than the world. We don't look to the world for our answers about marriage. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no clue. Don't take your advice from the world or the culture because you take their advice today and tomorrow it's going to be a different thing and they'll cancel you out. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce? The world's solution for a bad marriage isn't reconciliation. It isn't to fight for your marriage. The, the solution to a bad marriage or the solution to a marriage that you're not content with is divorce. And that's not what we're talking about. So, so what is Jesus showing us in this passage, right? If you want more about what Jesus is talking about in marriage, you go to Matthew 19. You go to Ephesians chapter 5 when ta Paul talks about marriage and you go to 1 Peter 3. But I think what Jesus is showing us here and what we also see throughout Scripture is a couple of things. I think the reason why Jesus is addressing this issue is because he wants to show his disciples. He wants to show you and me, the true citizens of the kingdom. He wants us to see the type of marriage we can have. Right? Like He wants to show you and me that the better thing in a fractured and broken world is to have a, a God-filled, spirit-led marriage. A marriage that has a lot of ups and downs. A marriage that is difficult and hard. A marriage that you probably don't want to be in at times, but a marriage that stays together as a representation of what God has done for us. So when we see in this passage, right, like what Jesus is showing us, and particularly in Matthew chapter 19, when the uh, Pharisees and the scribes are trying to catch Jesus, right, and, and they're asking him about divorce. What Jesus says, right, Matthew 19, verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
So God's demonstration to you and me in a healthy marriage is a marriage that stays together. This is the marriage that God wants us to have. The second thing that I think Jesus is showing us, right? I think Jesus is challenging us. Particularly about divorce. This is how Jesus is challenging us. He's, he's challenging us not to give in to divorce easily. I think that's what he's saying, right? D- divorce in a godly marriage, godly marriage should, should be the last resort. And the truth is, I don't, I don't know all the nuances, right? The exception clause says, hey, listen, if someone has committed in the marriage sexual immorality, if someone has committed adultery, had an affair, then that's, your, that's, that's a, an, an exception in which you can get a divorce. But, but I, we don't know when, how many times. The first time? Do you work on it first? Do you get counseling first? Do you stay in the marriage? I, he doesn't say that, but, but what he's showing us is that, that we shouldn't be given into divorce so easily, apart from the exception clause, right? So, so if, you, if you decide, I don't want to be married anymore, that, that's not an excuse for divorce. I'm tired. I want to be single. Sorry. You got married, right? I think about that passage that Paul talks about, right? Paul, 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 what does Paul say? Hey, he, Paul says, hey, it's better, to be, it's better to be single. Don't get married. Why? Because you're going to have worldly troubles. That's his words, not mine. So those of you who are married, you have worldly troubles. You have issues that you have to work through, and you just can't say, hey, listen, I'm out. You chose that for yourself. You made a decision to marry that person. Whatever issues and problems that you have, you made that decision. Live with it. For us single people, we're good. <laughs> we, we're straight. I mean, your problem is not my problem. I can go home when I want, how I want. I go to bed when I want to go to bed. I eat what I want. I say what I want. You chose that for yourself. Paul said, like, you know, what Paul says, that's worldly troubles. Like the issues you have in your marriage, those are worldly troubles. You got to figure that out. But our world says, no, no, no. You don't like it? Dip. Get out. That's, that's not what we see in scripture. So Jesus is showing us, right? The high view of marriage. He's challenging us not to be given into divorce so easily. And I think what also Jesus is showing us, particularly in this passage and also Matthew 19 and Paul in Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, what what we see is this. It's a call to faithfulness. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, right? He's showing us, be faithful. Stay committed. Stay in it. Fight. Work through it, talk through it, get counseling, get help, be in the church. If you have problems in your marriage, fight for your marriage. I I love this idea of biblical marriage because, because not only is it Jesus showing us what real marriage is, but when you look at the entire scripture, 
you see that Jesus takes marriage seriously. Do you want to know why Jesus takes seriously marriage? Do you want to know why that he's making it really hard for us to talk about divorce? How there isn't a laundry list of times that you can get a divorce and why in this passage he's saying, hey, there's one exception and there's a lot of questions behind that one exception. The reason why, the reason why he challenges us and it makes it hard for us to think and talk about divorce in a Christian marriage is because he takes marriage seriously. How do we see that in scripture? Well, God instituted marriage between a man and a woman in Genesis, right? Genesis chapter two. A man and a woman shall become what? One flesh. It started from the very beginning. God takes marriage seriously. He also established laws even after the fall, right? So, so you... So we have a, what a perfect marriage looks like in Genesis. The fall, sin enters the world and it permeates everything, right? Sin affects what we think and how we think. Sin affects what we feel, how we feel, when we feel. Sin affects every action, right? Every part of us is sinful. So, so what's going to happen after the fall? Like, there's, there's gonna be sinful actions. And because of that, God's going to have to give laws. He's going to have to say, you, you are now going to operate under a new set of rules because, because now sin has affected you and you're going to be prone. You're going to be tempted to do the wrong thing. And he puts it in the Ten Commandments. He puts it in the law. Talking about faithfulness to your marriage. And then you read Deuteronomy 22. You read Deuteronomy 24. And God establishes all these laws about marriage. God takes marriage seriously. But I think the bigger, the bigger thing we need to see, the reason why God takes marriage seriously and the reason why he, he takes the opportunity in this passage to seriously talk about divorce is because marriage, godly Christian marriage is a picture between the relationship between God and the church. And here's what happens. Who in that relationship has been unfaithful? We have. Who of us have gone after other things besides God? Our materialism, our, our, our marriages, our children, our money, our wealth, the culture, social media, relationships, jobs, career, what have we hoard after? How have we cheated on God? And what does God say? I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. Right, that's the story of Hosea, right? That, that the nation went after other gods and God's saying, I'm the one that's faithful. God doesn't get an out for us. So why should we get an out in our relationships? So easy for us, all oh, right, divorce. Yeah, divorce, divorce, divorce. When we the ones have been faithful, unfaithful to God and God, what does God say? I'm sticking around. I ain't going anywhere. I'll be right here. When you go mess up and you decide to come back, I haven't moved out. That's why God takes divorce and marriage so seriously because 
in the church, we're married to him. And he doesn't divorce us. The question is, should we divorce each other? Seems to be an exception. And the exception is when the innocent person in the marriage has been offended. So let's talk briefly about the exception clause. This is the exception in this passage, right? Question is, so if God hates divorce, and that's what God says, God hates divorce. You read Malachi chapter six, he says, I hate divorce. So why does he allow it to happen? I think of it in two ways. One, the reason why God allows divorce, though he hates it. He allows it because it is an extension of grace and mercy to the person in the marriage who has been faithful. That's what he's talking about in this passage, right? The exception is the person who's been faithful, the person who has honored their vows, that is an extension of grace and mercy. Secondly, the reason why he gives the exception is because he's well aware that sin is going to affect our relationships. This is the same issue, if you want to liken it to the time where the people of God wanted a king. God said, no, you don't need a king. We want a king. You don't want a king. We want a king. All right. Here you go. But this king's going to rule over you. It's gonna, he's going to dominate you. He's going to take your children. He's going to take your men out to battle. He's going to take your woman. He's going to take your money, your land. Yeah, we want a king. <laughs> what do we say? Tough marriage. I want a divorce. No. It's going hard. I want out. No. Please. He doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. He hates me. I hate her. I hate him. Give me a divorce. Oh, you want a divorce? All right, go ahead. But what are the consequences of divorce? Like so many people think like, oh, divorce, you get a divorce and everything's great. No, it's like, it's miserable. We have a whole ministry here dedicated to people who get divorced. And let me tell you something. Their stories are not like, man, that was awesome. It's like, no, 20 years I've been divorced and I'm still dealing with the issue. My kids have mental health problems because of the divorce. God hates divorce because it, per- it affects us. Who does it affect? It affects people in the marriage. It affects children in the marriage. It affects the community of believers, right? And you're like, how does it affect us? Well, think about it. People get married here have a great time, and guess what? They get a divorce, one of them leaves. Go to another church down the road. Oh, one goes to the nine o'clock service, the other one goes to the 1040 service. Oh, we used to sit in the balcony, now I'm gonna sit on the bottom. Right, that's what ends up happening. And what does it do? It brings this dissension and it causes people in the community to have to pick a side. You think divorce is good? No, it's bad. It's not good. I uh, know you're there, you're sitting here, but what about, what if, what if, what about, what about? We're not talking about the what ifs and what abouts. We're talking about this passage. The exception that he gives is that, hey, you, you get a way out of the marriages because one of them has committed adultery. But then there's a ton of questions after that. God takes marriage seriously and he gave an exception as an extension of grace and mercy to the person who was wronged. 
But, but if you ask me, there's far more grace and mercy to be seen in a marriage that reconciles after someone has cheated because it's a picture of us. Right? I don't know the nuances of all the questions and the scenarios, but here's what I do know and what you need to hear. If, you, if you've cheated, if you've had an affair, there is grace and mercy for you to be here in the presence of God. Notice what this passage doesn't say, right? In the beginning part when he's talking about lust and he's saying, like, there's judgment for you, right? There's judgment for you if you continue in a pattern of sin. Notice what he doesn't say in this passage. He says, if you got a divorce, your eternal destiny is hell. No, he doesn't even mention it. If, you, if you've gotten divorced, if you've cheated or been cheated on, there is grace and mercy under the arms of a loving and gracious father. So if you're sitting there, you're like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. Yes, it's hard, but realize that we serve a gracious and loving God. All right. What about single people here? You're like, this sermon ain't for me. That's y'all problems, right? Like, no, for single people, you know what the message here is for you? Choose wisely. You hear that? Do you see all those amens and hmm? Those are all from the married people. Those are all for the married people. This is what I've told single people and young people too all the time. Don't settle for something you think you deserve. Oftentimes, particularly this is the truth for, for women, right? They feel the urge of wanting to get married. They, the clock is ticking and they're like, I deserve this, this type of guy. And next thing you know, 10 years down the road, they're miserable. Don't settle for the potential of someone you think. Right? Like, oh, that person, they're, they're coming along like, like, no, 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 what you see is what you get. Right? If you buy a car and you see rust on the car, let me tell you something. The rust doesn't go away when you make the first payment. Right? Like, like single people, choose wisely who you date. Choose wisely who you will marry. Because guess what? That person doesn't necessarily change all the time. Yeah, God is gracious. God is merciful. But if you are dating someone who's not passionately in love with Jesus... If you're dating someone who's just lukewarm, I'm telling you, 20 years from now, you're going to be miserable. If he ain't loving Jesus, if he ain't pursuing Jesus, I'm telling you right now, you're in for a rude awakening because you ain't going to change him. Men, choose wisely who you date. Proverbs 31, woman. Not a woman that this world says what a woman is. So much in our culture now is defining what a woman is. They don't even know what a woman is. They can't tell you what a woman is. They can't even spell woman. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> the world says this is the type of woman, strong, independent, feminist, and don't need no man. That's the type of man. No, no, let me tell you something, guys. Proverbs 31, if a woman doesn't love Jesus and is not willing to pursue him faithfully in full submission. And that's not toxic masculinity. That's biblical Proverbs 31. A woman after God's own heart. Let me tell you something. Run. She's going to make your life miserable. 
She will. I'm t- we, we counsel people here all the time. There are men in miserable marriages because why? The domineering and strong-willed and I don't need anyone personality. Biblical marriage is biblical submission towards one another. Sacrificial love, doing whatever it takes to see God glorified in their life, to see God glorified in your life. Choose wisely for the marriages that are broken on the rocks, for the marriages that are struggling. Fight. Don't give up. Nothing's been lost. So oftentimes our desire is to run away and, f- and, and fight some other battle. If you're in a struggling marriage, it's hard, it's been difficult. If your marriage has been rough for the last 20 years, continue to fight with the grace and mercy, seeking reconciliation, seeking restoration. Don't give up. God has not given up on you. Why would you give up on your marriage? Don't run. The world runs. The world says get divorced four or five times. You can, the, the next one is going to be better. No, no, no. Fight for the one you got now. And when you're weary and tired, when you're exhausted, fight another day. Don't give up. And for the marriages that are strong and you're like, we got it. We're good. Ha <laughs> ha. It's coming. Because oftentimes I see this in marriages. People tell me, like, you know, you get kids and the kids become the distraction for, for decades. And then next thing you know, the kids graduate, they leave, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm stuck with you now? What am I going to do? Right? That's what ends up happening. Because why? The kids just take so much time and energy. I see this in parents all the time. I'm t- I see it in parents all the time. The kids are their idol. They think their kids are going to be the next NFL player. They think their kids are going to be the next millionaire. They think their kids are going to be the next basketball player. And let me tell you something. All your affections, your resources, and your time and energy are devoted to your kids. And next thing you know, you haven't worked on your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Fight now. There's no battles to fight? Good. Sure up your marriage. Be around older couples who, who figured it out or who are figuring it out, who had it rough. Surround yourself with people with wisdom and guidance to help give perspective. Have a spirit of humility. And for those who are divorced. Divorced, maybe it was a sinful divorce. Maybe you got divorced for the wrong reasons. Maybe you got divorced for the right reasons. I don't know. But know this. There is grace and mercy for you. God is not done with you yet. God understands the situation better than you understand the situation. If you're feeling the weight of like, oh my gosh, what did I do? No, God is gracious and merciful and kind. You have not gone too far where his grace and his mercy cannot be. If you're thinking about divorce, in the process of divorce, seek the Lord. Seek wisdom. Seek counsel from our leaders in the church. Do not do this on your own. 
You do it on your own, the enemy and sin is going to distort the way you think, the way you feel, and the, what you do. If you're divorced this morning, know that maybe singleness is a viable option for you. So much of our culture says we have to, I mean, this is the pressure in the church. Get married, get married, get married. Like, that's always been the culture here. Get married, get married, get married, get married. And then they never tell you, like, hey, it's really hard. It's difficult. They want you to get married. They want you to have kids so much. And it's like, what are you going to do to help me? It's like, your marriage ain't the model marriage, right? So, like, maybe singleness is a viable option for you, for those who are single and for those who are divorced. It's okay to be single. You're not less of a person if you're single. Like I said before, Paul says it's better to be single than to have worldly troubles. Why don't we take a moment and pray? Let's think through this passage and maybe, maybe, maybe your marriage is doing well. Maybe you're newly married and you're like, oh, I'm in love with him and he's in love with me. But, but pray for your marriage. Pray that God would give you longevity. If your marriage is on the rocks, why don't you ask the Lord, God, would you rescue us from this marriage by bringing reconciliation and bringing restoration? If you're thinking about marriage and want to get married, ask the Lord, send them, whoever that person is, godly, loving, and gracious. And if you're divorced, why don't you ask the Lord for mercy and compassion when your heart is feeling heavy about it? Why don't you think, I mean, if you're married in this room and you're sitting next to your spouse, why don't you pray together for a second? Husband, Lead your wife in prayer. And wife, pray also with your husband. If you're single, pray for the marriages and pray for your future marriage, for your future husband, your future wife. If you're divorced, pray for the marriages in the room that they would find great love and affection for each other. If you're engaged, pray for your future marriage. If you're married, engaged, and you need prayer. Maybe, you, maybe things are fine and you just need strength in your marriage. Why don't you stand up right now so we can pray for you? Maybe you're struggling. I don't know what it is, what's going on in your marriage or your relationship. But if you need prayer, why don't you stand up so that we can pray for you? There's nothing to be ashamed about. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. You just need prayer for help, for strength. Maybe you're engaged and you, 
You need help. Stand up too. Yes, Lord. Father God, you can do the impossible. Ask you to strengthen these marriages for the sake of your son Jesus. God, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Help each and every single person in this room, whether single, married, engaged, divorced, find you and only you in every aspect of their lives. You guys can have a seat. We pray, Father God. that these marriages in this church would be a demonstration of your loving kindness in an unbelieving and fractured world. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.